Hey, hello, how are you? This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. When you're a director, when you're actually creating in and writing it, you know, you're, you're invested and it's, you know, like any artist, there's a, a vulnerable side to it because it's your own creativity on the line. And as we know, it's like harder to be objective when it's your own creativity online. So it's great because the director of creation has that one step removed and yet, you know, cares just as much, but is the one who will be able to, you know, notice if you go off track a little and bring you back in. Circus, it's so individuated that if someone is out, you know, sometimes it's a completely new act, or maybe they're not ready to replace that act at all, and that changes the show. And then there's, you know, like every moment is so specialized for the person doing it. I felt like, you know, we've seen so many, you know, Pixar movies like Inside Out or Nemo, whatever, that are just, I mean, they're, they're as enjoyable for kids and, as, and grown-ups and just so, such quality and smart. And, and so I, we didn't really feel like there was an equivalent of a live show that was really as enjoyable for everyone in the family. Hi, everybody. This is your host, Faye Wu, and you're listening to a brand new episode of the Faye's World podcast. Welcome. Today on the show, I have Shana Carroll, who is a founding director at the Seven Fingers from Montreal, Quebec. She was a trapeze artist before becoming also an acrobatic designer and choreographer at Cirque du Soleil. She's been an integral part of many circus shows, including Iris, Paramore, was and still is the first Cirque and Broadway collaboration. And most recently, she helped create the first ever on-ice experience from Cirque called Christo. When interviewing her, I noticed the phrases used very often are first ever, never done before. So perhaps on the surface, they represent new and exciting, but deep down, you might be wondering the risks involved in such a career choice. You're not wrong. When I worked full-time at an agency, my supervisor had to warn me about my choices of picking up projects that the agency simply had never done before. What if you fail, he asked me. There's no comparison of the two examples. If I failed, I would be criticized, possibly let go from the job. But if Shana fails, even 10%, you know it will be all over the internet and social media among the circus creators and fans. So we dive deep in these questions. I am thrilled to have Shana's trust and also confidence in sharing this episode with you. From inception of Christo to its creation process, approval milestones and selling to the executive team at Cirque du Soleil to a workshop she runs monthly to refine details of the show, I enjoyed every bit of it, and I really hope you do too. You may not be an artist, a show-goer, but I bet you could learn something from these incredible artists and their artistry. Since I've started speaking with these performing artists, they have truly changed my life and inspired me for the work I do. From team management as a project manager to creative process and storytelling, 
I would love to hear from you as well. So please, if you could leave a comment or feedback, your own reflections on faceworld.com underneath Shana's episode, I would greatly appreciate that. I personally review and respond to them all, and our new commenting system, Discuss, makes it very easy to have meaningful conversations. Without further ado, please welcome Shana Carroll to the FaceWorld podcast. Shane, I'm so, so glad to be connecting with you and just witnessing everything firsthand. I want to, I wonder, you know, how were you introduced to this new show, Crystal? I'm, I'm so eager to know. I mean, first of all, thank you for saying all that. But it's very, it's very nice to hear that. Um, it's important to me, of course, because, uh, I mean, working, well, working with people is, is one of the main reasons I do this. I mean, there's the creative side, but of course, the human side is really what kind of drives me. So it's nice to know that that kind of is, uh, Yes, yeah, so there's good echoes and everything. Um, so it was a, a year, almost a year and a half ago, last summer, um, we, myself and Seb, my husband, we co-directed Crystal. We were brought in to Cirque du Soleil and were, you know, approached about this this job to direct their first ice show. What was interesting was that we had, um, it had been years, we were sort of thinking, I mean, neither of us, well, Seb is a good skater, you know, in a minimal way, but I don't skate at all at all. I'm like not, I'm from California and like completely new to the ice world. But it, there's a company called Petain Libre here in Montreal, and they do, there's, there's like five of them, and it's sort of like contemporary dance uh, on ice and really kind of modern, and they do very minimalist shows. And I saw them a few years ago, and that really just opened my mind up in terms of what, you know, how it's a form that's kind of begging to be reinvented and sort of reminded me of circus, you know, in the 80s when there was traditional circus, which of course has its... Um, has its strong points and there's really beautiful things about traditional circus, but, you know, it hadn't been reinvented and modernized for a long time. And, um, you know, Cirque du Soleil was part of breathing new life into it. And there were other companies as well. And I sort of felt like that was sort of begging to happen for, for ice shows in the ice world. Um, and it was something that we've been thinking about for a while. I even mentioned to one of the directors at Sierra, like, oh, you guys should do an ice show, you know, since years ago. And knowing like what they did with O, with water and, thinking how a Cirque spin on that would be amazing. So it's something that really we've been thinking about. So when they came and and asked us about this, you know, we were just incredibly excited. It was, there were people who, you know, their reaction is the opposite. We say, I should be like, oh God, and I should. And they get really very cynical about it, just sort of because their mind is really in sort of, sort of compartmentalized it as it is now. Anyway, so we were really excited about it. And also it's just, I mean, anytime as a creator, you have a whole new playground and a whole new element that just, you know, you get to, to figure out how to approach it, how to create new material apparatus, new disciplines. It's actually really, we thought we were incredibly fortunate to have this new playground and to collaborate with these new kinds of athletes and artists and everything. So that's how it happened. That was like a year and a half ago. Um, Seb was in Russia shortly after that doing a show there called Princess of Circus. So the first few stages of creation, you know, just the writing of the show and all of that, I was sort of on my own for that. So I kind of wrote the show um, and storyboards and, you know, met with the design team early on. And then he joined a little bit later, but was definitely there through you know, all the rehearsals and everything like that. So um, you, you piqued my interest as in you mentioned a, a bunch of things that are, I find really interesting and behind the scenes. And by the way, you know, I find a lot of these episodes with 
circus actors and aerialists have become really popular. But, you know, one of the highly demanded episode is actually with directors and people who are working with these artists and the creators of the show. When you mentioned, you know, storyboarding and such, could you give me an idea of what that inception looks like at the beginning, you know, you're storyboarding and there seems to be a design team and, you know, who's managing the team and what's, what's everybody's role in, in that at the beginning stage? Right. Okay. So we have um, a director, someone called a director of creation, um, which I think is kind of similar to on a Broadway show, the producer or, um, but I think, you know, often the producer is, you know, invested money. I'm actually not sure how it works, you know, completely on a Broadway (laughs) show, but the director of creation is there to sort of manage the creative team. Um, And so really it's great in terms of, you know, I mean, he'll be there to sort of organize everything and say, okay, you're going to meet with, you know, I have you, you know, with the costume designer on Friday at three, and then we're going to meet with the video guy. So, I mean, there's that just sort of kind of driving the machine the whole time and sort of asking the important questions at the right time and helping the brainstorming process and really just, you know, kind of making sure, yeah, the train rolls smoothly. Um, and we had a guy named Stefan Neljevic who was amazing, who I adore. Um, and that really makes a huge difference. And also the director of creation is the one who ideally, you know, you know, sees the writing on the wall because it's not, what's great is, you know, when you're a director, when you're actually creating it and writing it, you know, you're, you're invested and it's, you know, like any artist, there's a, a vulnerable side to it because it's your own creativity on the line. And as we know, it's like harder to be objective when it's your own creativity online. So it's great because the director of creation has that one step removed and yet, you know, cares just as much, but is the one who will be able to, you know, notice if you go off track a little and bring you back in or... Um, so anyway, so he was there for that. And then, you know, we had a team of, when we say designers, you know, there's costume design, set design, video design, props design, lighting design, choreography, skating design, um, sound design. So early on, you know, you're meeting, at first it's one-on-ones until you actually, you know, several months into it, get everyone on the table and, and try to have these creative meetings all together so everyone can bounce off of each other and, you know, share the same information at the same time. But first it's one-on-one. So, you know, I start out by writing the show really like with, you know, a pen and a paper, I sit down and write, you know, a very preliminary script. For me, because I'm someone who comes from circus, instantly I, I try to, um, like two halves of a shell, I try to have, I know certain disciplines that I want the story to take us to. And then I also am taking what happened in the story and thinking in terms of circus, what would best represent that dramatic moment. So there's a little kind of zigging and zagging as I write the storyline of, where my story kind of allows me to go into circus and where, you know, the, the circus is used to enhance the story. Um, so I write the story and then keep, you know, sort of rewriting it. And then there's a whole period where I have to, I have to essentially pitch it. You know, I have to pitch it to our bosses. I have to pitch it to the designers. And I kind of keep telling the story over and over and over again. And as you do, you know, get little pieces of feedback or you just self-edit as you kind of keep telling the story and it starts to solidify. Um, and then from there, you know, the set designer will, you know, take images that I spoke of and kind of propose something. And then that will be an exchange and even even have 
comments about the story that might open up my eyes and have me adapt something here or there. Um, I, I've also worked in a very different uh, set of creative field. I, in this case, mm-hmm. you know, more uh, marketing, advertising. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, I, I sort of have an idea of what the creative process is like across different industries. You know, sometimes it can be very frustrating. And when you push through that, just say feedback, review, and finally approval. So I wonder... Um, you know, what was it like for you to kind of push through that, uh, given I, I just learned that you're, you're an American, you know, you grew up in California, and I yeah. assume a lot of these uh, approvers and, and folks could mm-hmm. be from, are they in Montreal? I mean, do they have, right. what, what was it like, you know, right. kind of that, is there right. difficulty in pushing through some ideas? Um, well, I've been in Montreal since 1991 and oh, wow. speak French. So I do feel like culturally I, I kind of straddle both, uh, both countries. Um, so I don't really feel that. And actually I started in Cirque in 94 officially, but even before that, my first husband was, was on tour and I would join anyway, the whole other thing. So basically since 1992, I've been pretty much, you know, um, in that world. So I, I, in fact, I've been in other projects like on Paramore and, and Iris where the creative team was less familiar with Cirque and with, and with circus in general. And I felt like I often had to be sort of a translator and a moderator because I did kind oh, of wow. understand both oh, worlds. Cool. And also because before I did circus, I did theater. So even when it comes to like when we worked on Paramore, like having an understanding of theater and of circus, um, which is not, not that common. Um, so in, in my case, I didn't feel what I found more frustrating was that there, I mean, I'll just say this, frankly, there's a lot of turnover at Cirque. You know, the, there's been, you know, Guy sold the company, et cetera. And there's people who are, you know, excellent people who, um, you know, are, are, are sort of new to their jobs. And there's a certain quality of, I mean, like they talk about the sommelier who can like taste the grape and know what the wine is going to taste like. And I often felt like I was pitching and the people I was pitching to didn't necessarily see the show I was trying to describe. And it's very hard. I mean, it's hard to do anyway because mm. it's it's a live show. You know, no matter how much you can say it into words, there's no way you can convey what it's going to feel like, which, of course, is what matters when you watch a show. And so, you know, for instance, I mean, I think you know a little bit the story of Crystal, but there was a concern that it was too dark because a girl falls to the ice. And, and I talked about a shadow self and all these themes that when they're on paper sound kind of heady and dark. Of course, the feeling of Crystal is not dark. I mean, in some ways, it's one of the lighter shows because there's something very joyful and colorful. And um, that and that was a feeling that was hard to get across. That's why we tried a storyboard and get an illustrator to draw. Um, mm-hmm. And then and then as you have that, we have it up on the wall in the room. Uh, you know, you can really talk through the show and say, oh, here we're going from this world of of blues and frozen and then as we go down then it's exposed with color and we have you know so you can kind of get more of a feeling that way but even then you don't get you know a feeling so I felt like that was what was hard for me was like really trying to capture that and it wasn't until we started doing workshops which we were also lucky to do we did a like one workshop a month from November to April or something which was good because we had obviously with the ice there were certain things we had to test we had no idea like the ramps we had to invent ramps we had to try and see whether we had this idea but will it actually work to you know bend the synthetic ice and put it on the ramp and does it work to go from the ice to the ramp and will they trip on the edge and wow you know the distances I mean there were things that it could have been that we got to the workshop and said okay scrap so so we had these workshops which was great but then also because we had the workshops it became easier to, to start to talk about the show because there was a direct image um so that really you know things kind of accelerated after that you you brought up 
some really cool ideas. And because you've been in it for so long, I think to me still as an outsider, I never even thought about bending ice. And I, I mentioned I was, uh, I was a hockey player in high school and a little bit in college. Yeah, yeah. So I was so drawn to the show, I think more so than say somebody who has no skating experience almost. You know, that sense of freedom that you and your your crew really have taken it to a whole new level. I mean, I never knew that anybody could do those things on ice. And especially with hockey skates, that's not even how it was designed to perform some of these uh, you know, acts. And th- those workshops sounds really interesting. I wonder how nervous were you when you watched these folks sort of perform these tricks? I mean, were they wearing the helmets? And then some folks weren't even doing that. I mean, what if people get right. injured and what if, <laughs> the the risk yeah. index was pretty high. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I get I mean, during the show still, I mean, there's numbers that I have to, you know, put down whatever I'm holding and clasp my hands together and breathe. I mean, I'm it's like and you get into mom mode a little. I mean, because that's what people always joke with me. They say, How come you're you're so fearful you were a trapeze artist? It's like, Yeah, well when I when I put myself up in the air twenty feet, you know, you just you grab your courage and you know, your adrenaline kicks in. But when you put someone else's life and, you know, I mean, it's really like you're, I, I see them all like my little babies. So it's, yeah. hard to, it's difficult for me to watch the show. I, I'll be honest. And and especially in the early stages of rehearsal, when things are not yet as um, mastered and things like that. During the the workshops, you know, the first time we tried the wraps, we had mats everywhere, you know, all the padding you can get. I mean, the workshop period tends to be a safer period because we have that capacity to kind of, you know, make it as safe as possible. And, and it's sort of fun. It really is like playing around. We get to you know try all these ideas and, and the stakes aren't high yet. You know, we're, it's like I call it like when you throw pasta on the wall and see, see what sticks. Like you're still in the pasta throwing stage. Um, so that's fun. And, but there were even little things like we were doing something acrobatic and we had a mat on the ice. And then someone went to, you know, step to catch the person. And of course, the mat which obviously now we know but the first time we did it we didn't think about the fact the mat was going to slide and became more dangerous than not having a mat and lucky luckily nothing happened but then we you know had to put on you know the type of um sort of crampon type covering under the bottom of the mat and you know little things like that we've learned sometimes the hard way so. mm. and one of the other challenge i noticed just having seen so many Cirque du Soleil shows is the let's just say the inconsistency of the platform itself that people are wearing skates some people aren't and the ice arena which is the ideal space yet it's so vast i mean just looks like such a big stage. I wonder, you know, how you could manage, how people are working on transitioning between scenes to, you know, people are skating, they're going at lightning speed and these killer skaters versus yeah. people have to run on stage with these like anti-slippery boots. I mean, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, I thought. Yeah. But what was fun was, I mean, we would keep forgetting how fast people could go on skate. So we'd say, oh God, we have to strike a tree and it's, you know, 80 feet downstage. And of course, in a second, the guy was there and went, oh, yeah, that's right. And so, I mean, it really was a plus, obviously. And, you know, even just in terms of, you know, transitions, you know, we have these world-class skaters. And so it's it's such a great bag of goodies to keep, you know, grabbing from. You know, with, with circus elements, even great acrobats, if you're creating an act, you have to train it for a great deal of time. You know, like the Poles Act, we needed, you know, the whole three months of training, if not more, to be able to do the act. Skaters come with their skills. 
So if last minute, you know, we're like, oh, the the chair tear down is taking too long. Scott, come and do some actual things. You know, I mean, it really can do it at the drop of a hat. So, you know, we don't often have that same freedom with acrobatics where we get an idea, but then we'd have to go and, okay, let's train this bunking trick for a little bit and see if we can do it. So, so that was really fun. And, you know, and I think actually the mix between the crampons and the skating, I mean, that was really I mean, I, I think it was really stimulating for everyone. I mean, the skaters loved watching people like run on the ice and shoes. They thought that was really, you know, just such a trip. I mean, Kurt Browning was always, it was one of his favorite moments in the show. Um, <laughs> and it gave us so much flexibility. And often, I mean, our acrobats got fairly good on skates. You know, what's really unique, I, I don't know, uh, it maybe it's just me, the way, the way I see your position is that you are such an experienced acrobat yourself and that you've performed, you know, in, in various circus acts and I've watched them on YouTube and it's incredibly impressive. And I wonder, in the cases of you being in your role, is that possible for someone without your experience to become a director? And I guess it's a two-part question versus someone, you know, you, you have lived through it yourself. I mean, I feel like that gives you certainly more than a leg up. Like, how do you interpret that experience? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible for, for people to direct circus without doing circus. In fact, most directors, that's the case. Um, personally, obviously, I, I, mean, I can speak for myself. I for me, it's really what helps me, and it helps me to to be in the skin of the performer. And I think that's the main thing. And and no, in terms of safety and taking care of them, and you know, I mean, there's all sorts of elements that I think a lot of uh, other directors, you know, don't necessarily realize. Like the first time you you do have to do your act in a new costume or in the lights, and how actually that's a, a real danger issue. You know, that what it literally means to have you know, your, your, your legs sliding when someone's trying to catch you. And then I think in terms of writing a show, like I was saying, the more your imagination goes towards your, your medium, really. I mean, the element you're using in this case, which is acrobatic, and my imagination naturally goes there because that's the world I've been in. However, like I'll give this example, I didn't come from skating and my imagination didn't necessarily, I didn't immediately know everything that could happen with skating. But in some ways, I liked that because it also is easier to break a mold when you're not, if you haven't like dug that groove really deep that it's hard to like climb out of the walls of it, you know, like you come in with fresh eyes. I mean, I had experts around me and I could say, what if we try this? And it's something that, you know, they wouldn't have thought of necessarily. So I actually and Crystal kind of experienced both. And I even joked about it with the skaters, how I used to be frustrated when I was a trapeze artist, when someone, when I had a director or choreographer who didn't know anything about circus and yeah and it's tricky I mean and that's what there was times with the skating where I couldn't tell because often people are resistant to change and they're purists and even if they want it to be renewed they get very I mean like I've worked with traditional circus people who you know they want to you know move their hands in a certain way and you try to break that habit and it's really hard so I couldn't tell sometimes if the skaters um, if it was that and kind of the sort of purist thing and they were resisting change or if in fact they were trying to, you know, bring knowledge that I didn't have. And so it was really this sort of funny tightrope to walk and like how much do you push to 
to change it and how much do you need to like, okay, now I need to listen to the experts. Mm, isn't that interesting? I, I can't even imagine. I, when I watch the show and just every time I get to be backstage, I learn so much more about these artists, about director like yourself. And, you know, when things go wrong, just purely how much work that has gone into an act or a performance like this. I remember seeing the show for the second time and, you know, you had mentioned that there were things, technical stuff you have to work through and, you know, right before the show. And I think of that in comparison to some of the things I do day in and day out, it seems really put things in perspective, right? Uh, Yeah. I'm also, I sometimes I wonder an audience, a normal audience member, I'm not sure they realize, you know, how, how much there's a variable in a circus show and that, you know, we go to the theater and yes, there can be an understudy, but the understudy will play the same role and do the same things and sing the same songs. And maybe, maybe they're not as good or as famous, but in circus, it's so individuated that if someone is out, you know, sometimes it's a completely new act or maybe they're not ready to replace that act at all. And that changes the show. And then there's, you know, like every moment is so specialized for the person doing it. So there really is um, this element of, you know, unpredictability. And, you know, I, on the other hand, that's, that's the trade-off that, you know, we get to see shows that have this level of athleticism and artistry at the same time. Yeah. I'm, if if you didn't tell me, I don't think I was able to identify. I mean, I still couldn't, to be honest. Uh, First of all, I wasn't as close the second time, but everybody was so sharp. And I think what's really amazing about the show is that you could see, easily see people's faces but in a way that's kind of interchangeable that they're in a role and unlike you know broadway every time i remember going to new york if they announce uh, today's so and so would be played by and everybody just sigh and that they're disappointed but i don't think that's the case with uh, a circ as, as much i'd never get a chance to really think about or really ask the inspiration of the story and uh, is it related to your your childhood? I mean, is it related to anything that you you've been touched by personally, or yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's there's a a lot of inspirations, I would say. Um, so first of all, one thing when I came into it, I made a decision. I feel like the the pitfall in a huge show like this, whether it's huge because it's a play or prison arena, is that you kind of it's hard to to think of it as not being able to tell an intimate personal story. And I think that that's the pitfall. And when I worked on Paramore, and there were all sorts of great things about Paramore, but I remember the story, I felt like it was just catered to what people thought it should be. And no one was attached to it. And if there's not one person behind who, it's like, it's their story. They want to tell that story. Like someone who really believes in it, then I don't think it's going to work as a story. So my goal coming into it is I wanted to care about this story. And I want in, for in some way for it to be... Uh, well, my my story was not literally autobiographically my story. So there were elements of it. I mean, definitely the sort of notion of the aspect of creativity and how you kind of have to go to these dark depths to sort of find. I mean, they, it's in the show. It's like the shadow of self, like in the Jungian sense, to find these sort of this this power. And yet you have to kind of bring it back up to the light and not leave it back down in that darkness. And I feel like that is the struggle of being an artist and a very yeah, it's a difficult balance to find to be able to access this depth and not like get you know drawn down by it. So there was that. Also, I, I mean, I have a daughter, I have a nine-year-old daughter, and it was important to me that it was a story that she felt not only could connect to, but to a certain level empowered by. Um, and I also noticed that she 
and I'll, I'll say not just because I have a daughter, but because I've been to a lot of ice shows and quite often it's moms and daughters. Um, there is something that's a little bit more family oriented than a normal circus show and even more female oriented. So that was also a choice. I just felt like I wanted to not alienate that audience as well. And I felt like, you know, we've seen so many, you know, Pixar movies like Inside Out or Nemo, whatever that are just, I mean, they're, they're as enjoyable for kids and as, and grownups and just so such quality and smart. And, and so I we didn't really feel like there was an equivalent of a live show that was really as enjoyable for everyone in the family. And then, um, which, you know, which they do deal with, you know, sort of deeper and more serious subject matter, you know, in something like Inside Out and things like that. And I noticed that, that Sati, my daughter, I mean, that might be her, but she, you know, I would take her to, you know, I'd say other circus shows and she really wanted to know, you know, why, you know, okay, well, who, who's doing that? So, oh, they're, they're birds. Oh, why are, you know, she, she really wanted to care and she wanted there to be a story and a meaning and would, would, would disconnect when there wasn't because in a way she's too young to really understand, you know, the training behind this and how impossible it is. And, you know, she's seen so many things that are impossible that she doesn't understand that, you know, what makes that different. So I wanted the, the idea of stakes was one of the first things that came to me was, you know, knowledge. I will, you know, this whole thing, okay, creativity and da, 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 but that we needed to, you know, the idea of her falling through the ice in the beginning and that something has happened to this character. And I think that's why often, you know, Disney movies, you know, a parent dies in the beginning or something, you know, to go on a quest, you need high stakes. You need something to be going towards or away from. So then, you know, as we got, you know, we had that basic storyline, I I actually myself went through breast cancer treatment um, two and a half years ago. So this element of like fighting for your life became really also another theme that I found important. And so in the, in the end, when she's, you know, there's the whole text about fight for air and she's trying to break through the ice. Um, that was sort of another aspect that I kind of wanted to integrate that really there was something defiant um, about it and, and active and it wasn't that she was just freed or anything like that that it really became a question of choice and determination and everything so um and choosing life so there's a lot of like i said there's a lot of different inspirations and even at the end we do this pinwheel like after she comes out of the ice so a pinwheel is a really classic ice skating from you know the 30s oh, yeah. or whatever yeah. it is where they all join hands and they spin in a wheel and I said I wanted to do this as sort of an homage to old ice shows and every all of the skaters were like oh no we're doing a pit wheel like I just was suggesting the tackiest <laughs> thing um but also what I wanted was that when she came out of the ice at the end the symbolism of this community coming around her and just sort of once again in terms of themes that mean something to me that really discover our power and our creativity and we break through the ice and in the end it's also that community and that tribe that kind of keeps us afloat and so I wanted to capture that so that's actually for me that's always the moment that gets me like I get kind of teary um, even though it's just a, a tacky little pinwheel but no you did it's good to know <laughs> I, I was gonna say what is your favorite part and yeah. I, you know to see everyone coming together and it's such a powerful thing. And even if people don't get exactly what you're describing, but um, that's why it's it's really powerful. And I think that the sense of community is powerful. And you know, I heard you say that you were also fighting for breast cancer. And one of my close friends is going through that and she's a writer and she posted something very simple on Facebook yesterday. And I just 
I just noticed somehow, like she has been transformed by the experience, her writing, her word choices are so powerful, even though they were so simple. And um, I don't, I, I feel like these experiences really transform and really elevate us, especially when it comes to our in the creative endeavors. So yeah. With that said, I think that one of the things I know it's always tough to face and um, with you creating and devoting so much of your life, your energy, and not to mention the crew members, with everything we do, with myself, podcast, designing a website, whatever they may be. I mean, so, you know, with with something that you created, I feel like there are always going to be praises and criticism. And because it's part of Cirque du Soleil and there's people have this, you know, pre-existing or pre-conception of other shows they have seen in the past. And so how are you dealing with the praises and criticism? Like how are you interpreting or responding to the audience feedback? So it's funny. I had a a choreographer when I was younger who never read reviews. And she Mm -hmm. had a a phrase. She she said, the the good ones go to her head and the bad ones go to her stomach. Um, And it's funny because I actually felt like, Crystal, I didn't read. There was one review that like, you know, um, our PR person said, you should really read this one. And so I read it. But in general, I was trying to avoid them Um, Mm -hmm. just because it really is. I mean, I know that about myself now. I mean, it's it's like you, you, you've just had a baby. I mean, it's like, imagine, I mean, you just, you give your, your, your blood and your life and, you know, and, and not only is it, like I said, your creativity on the line, but the fact that you take care of these people and you're, you know, you're invested with, with all of these, these humans, these individuals. And so, yeah, I was saying, it's like you, you give birth and have a baby and everyone's standing around going, Oh, I think his eyes are a little small or, uh, oh, you know, exactly. like it feels a little like that. Um, so I just sort of, I kind of stayed away a little bit. For me, what matters is that I get, I, there are certain people that I, I know I really uh, respect and trust and really care about their feedback. And feedback I got from those people really made me very, very, very happy. And so I, I feel like in the end, like that sort of overall, like if I just, if I don't focus on any like little silly cynical comment, like the, the overall feeling of, of bonds that I get. I feel very pleased with the work. So I try to just kind of not, if I felt like there was a real concern, because for me, where criticism is important is when it resonates. You know, it's happened to me where it's like certain, someone will give a certain comment and it'll really sometimes really bother me. And I realize because somewhere I kind of know that's a weakness of the show and it's something I should have worked on. And that. So that's, you know, one I kind of, okay, I should, it's difficult, but I should listen to this, especially if it's a, a repeat thing. Um, in the in the case of Crystal, I'm kind of trying to just insulate myself a little more. Seb reads them. Um, I think what's hard is I did start to read one, and what bothered me was that it was really what it was cynical about was sort of analyzing what they were presuming to be Sirk's intentions and kind of like, oh, they're trying to be commercial and get a bigger audience. And I felt like, first of all, it has nothing to do with the show. And secondly, of course, it's a commercial corporation. Like it's, you know, I mean, it's not, it's no secret. I mean, they have shows in Vegas, you know, they didn't go and put shows in a casino to not make money. You know, it's no secret that they're trying to make money with what they're doing. The point is the artistic endeavors inside it. I mean, the people creating the show, including myself, it was nothing but an artistic endeavor. You know, no one was there around the table saying, oh, if you do this this way or this way or this way, it's going to, you know, be a bigger hit and make more money. I mean, that's what's interesting is actually they did give us free reign. I mean, we had to do all those pitches and convince them and they were worried, but I mean, they really did let us do the show we wanted to do. And all of the choices I made, you know, it could be your cup of tea or not, but it was done out of, you know, 
just the pure, you know, love of the project and, and telling that story and having, you know, featuring those artists and making sure that they're, they were seen and appreciated and all of that. So, and I think another uh, yeah. thing I learned from just learning from Seth Godin, who's a very acclaimed, you know, uh, acclaimed author, is that do not ever read one or two star reviews. They're completely meaningless. Nobody, right. no author or creator has ever read a one star review and said, oh, I was so inspired by it. And right, right, right. You know, there's no action plan, yeah. nothing. I don't think there was ever one. You know, I don't think those reviews exist for Crystal, but I can see that once you open up the gate, anything could come through, you know, without people respecting the act or uh, then it's not really worth marinating. It's not worth really analyzing at all. What I find really interesting about your career path is now you mentioned Paramore and Iris, and I just want to scratch uh, some of the the other questions, uh, perhaps, is Paramore, for those listeners who have not seen it before, uh, is that it, it's also a completely brand new, first ever Cirque, Circus uh, and um, Broadway collaboration. And I can't wait to hear your involvement also, sort of not involvement, just your takeaways from Paramore and perhaps Iris as well. You're yet another, you're doing it for the very first time. Like it's never been done before. That should be the name of this podcast, the name of this episode. Wow. I mean, there's a lot to say about both. (laughs) (laughs) We'll start with Paramore maybe. Yeah. So Paramore, I mean, I had a lot of fun on Paramore and I really enjoyed, um, you know, the the acts I created. I really, you know, kind of put all my energy into sort of just uh, creating those acts. It was what was funny with Paramore was that we had, you know, sort of Cirque was involved. They had their Broadway division involved, which is all, you know, Broadway people. And then the creative team, other than myself, which we were the same creative team from Iris, they were all from Decouflet's world, from this a French choreographer, um, French. And, and though they had done Iris and some of them had done, you know, the costume designer had done other Cirque shows, you know, most of them were had done, had done Decouflet, had done this French, uh, this French dance company. So, they they had a little bit of experience with Cirque, um, but no experience with Broadway. And it did bring an incredible amount of creativity. And I th- and I would just use the example, like I was saying about, you know, me with the skating. I mean, I think the fact that Couflet and them didn't know Broadway, you know, did sometimes break the mold and take it in directions that a normal Broadway director wouldn't take it. And there was a level of creativity um, that I think, you know, in the box thinking wouldn't have take it, taken it there. However, he also didn't necessarily know what it, took to you know to make a play and and tell a story and um so I think that was the biggest sort of issue as we move forward in rehearsals was balancing how much we're doing something for you know creativity's sake and the idea and the choreography and the individual moment mm-hmm. or how much are we going to sacrifice that to try to tell the story and what was funny too was that like I sort of mentioned I mean, we, the story wasn't that strong a story that people cared about telling so that's what was hard to just sort of say okay we're going to you know, we're, we're going to not do this beautiful choreography here so that we can focus on our characters when it, there wasn't so much to, 
so much meat there in the story at that moment. It was just hard to navigate through in terms of those things, um, because, of course, if, if we didn't, you know, if we did treat it just like a play, then we'd sacrifice everything that kind of made that show unique and beautiful in terms of its, uh, well, the acrobatics, but also, you know, all the sort of the abstract imagery and, you know, things that make Cirque strong and make Deco plays work strong. Um, but that took away from the story. So it was really like, like pulling the blanket on one side and the other side uh, in the bed. So that was my experience with Paramore. And I was sort of, I, I do think to a certain extent, we created something amazing with it. I also think we created something flawed. And actually going back to the to the reviews, like one of the things that bothered me was that I, I believe we deserved a review that said, okay, here are the flaws, but here are the really amazing things that you won't see on any other Broadway stage. And unfortunately, people were too cynical to give us that. I mean, that was sort of where I felt like that was, we were shortchanged because it was Sierra and because it was, you know, so big budget and mm-hmm. all of that, that they didn't see the actual, you know, the work that went into it. And, and maybe this comes from the fact that circus, we don't have our own critics. You know, we don't have people who are connoisseurs who, who, you know, like an opera critic, the way they would critic, critique opera. It's not someone who's walking into an opera and not ever having heard opera before. I mean, sometimes I feel that with circus that, there, you know, we have a theater critic or a dance critic, and they really don't know how to read it. I'm I'm so glad to be able to hear that from you. I, I know that because I feel like I have so many friends in the show. Uh, for me, the the experience as a viewer is different. Not only that, there are many reasons why I went back because I think it was incredibly enjoyable, and just the color, the singing, and to me. Uh, one thing is, to be honest, I, I'm not crazy about Broadway myself. And um, maybe it's just my own interpretation, comprehension. And, and also maybe it's not something I am very familiar with because I grew up, I was raised and you know, I grew up in, in China and in Beijing and Broadway is this brand new and completely super Americanized concept. And for me, I feel like really circus uh, act, whether it's Cirque du Soleil or Seven Fingers, you guys can bring so much more uh, liveliness and just so much life uh, out of that act that I feel oftentimes are, you know, to me, it was single dimensional. There's so many more dimensions. It's like looking into a kaleidoscope. I even brought multiple clients back. So I brought my mom one time. We went by ourselves. I brought more clients to see it. Everybody loved it. So I don't even, I never read any of those reviews. I did hear some of those from, you know, Atherton's. I just found completely unfair to uh, have such expectations. Um, yeah. And I think a bit of that is, I, I don't think they were very happy we were there. And, you know, when I talked about purists, I was talking about purists for skating. I mean, the purists for Broadway, I mean, it is like, it's sacrilege to not, you know, to not respect the form and, and Broadway people, I mean, they, they take it very, very seriously. And so there again, it was one of the situations like, okay, is this because it's what's best for the moment? Or is this just because this is what you always do on Broadway and and, we, and you're being a purist? So there again, it was hard to know when we could like break the mold and when we'd have to like, okay, now we have to respect it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it was, yeah, I think it was hard, but it's true though, like not just critics. I mean, Broadway theater goers had similar reactions where they had a hard time watching it because they felt like it was taking away from the story and there was a certain experience they were they were supposed to have yeah i mean it it brings so many different thoughts to my mind and really learnings through on this podcast and talking to many people who are creators themselves 
how do we analyze or understand how good we are? And Barry Alexander, one of the gentlemen also based in New York, actually is a musician and runs a music competition, said one of the things he constantly reiterated in front of his students are, you can't just believe that you're only as good as other people say you are. And I find that to be so true in the work that you do. First of all, those reviewers for Broadway shows are probably 100 years old. And, (laughs) you know, I I can imagine them, you know, with their cigars and their $10,000 suits. And maybe I'm wrong completely, but, you know, there's a certain crowd that's attracted to that. And yet I know that Cirque du Soleil is trying to reinvent itself. And at, at the end of the day, you know, I have, most of my friends have only seen one show ever, and um, they do remember it very fondly. Uh, but what they don't know is there only there's so many acts, and then you know the Russian cradle. You can name them probably. I don't know how many exactly, but there's a set amount of things that human beings are able to do. So, you know, I, I'm just very thrilled to have this conversation with you because you are you're really challenging the status quo. You're trying new things and not be afraid of these potential hesitations of these possible negative reviews. It's really profound. You know, a lot of the folks listening to the show are career changers. I don't think anybody could go from a computer programmer to a Cirque du Soleil artist. I I also notice more and more people interested in circus art are listening to this because we have invited so many people to join us on FaceWorld. What is your, guess, word of advice to young performers who are probably attending school right now or learning this on the side to pursue a career? Like, What are some of the things that they should know but often not talked about? in school or even just among the crowds um, that they're in? It's, it's number one, which I always say is, is you know, to not be an asshole. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, I think that the thing that gets really, it's really understated is how much being a nice person <laughs> is. No, so and I guess true. that's probably true, like across the board and other, in other lines of work. But I mean, I, I'm very loyal with my uh, artists. Like I like, if I like working with someone, I will continue to hire them and continue to like working with them. Um, and for me, there's nothing more valuable than having a little gem of a person on a team and someone that you know, first of all, for the work too, in terms of, of safety and all sorts of things, having someone who is a team player and, you know, willing to jump in front of, uh, to, to catch someone near all of that. I mean, it does take a certain mentality, but also just, you know, being being nice to work with. And so, I mean, I really think that I, there's a few people that I just find, you know, I'm burned on that, that I had bad experiences working with and won't hire them again, no matter how talented they are. So that's like my main piece of advice is really, I mean, be a nice person. For me, it kind of goes both ways in terms of not only can you not uh, listen to the, the white noise, the negative criticism, but you also don't can't believe your own hype too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I always kind of tell myself, stay in the middle. Like I kind of almost visualize it, just stay kind of in the middle, stay grounded because I, I, you can kind of get pulled in either direction and then you, you take your eye off the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I just, I know for myself, if I just focus on the work and I love the work, I will always love the work. I love being creative. If I look at it, that's the other thing is I feel like creativity is, I think John Cleese said that it's indistinguishable from play. So if I know if I'm, if I'm playing, then I feel like I'll be doing good work. And so if I start getting into, if I, if I, if I let my brain go into who's liking it, who's not liking it, then I take my ass off. 
I think, again, like you said, so many of what you talked about apply across so many different disciplines, industries. It's absolutely true. And um, that's my number one thing is don't be an asshole. Be a nice person. Be kind. Yeah. Because that yeah. really, that's what, at the end of the day, is what matters and what people will remember about you. There's so much, so much more I feel like I, we could talk about. I, you know, Shane, I would love to, love, love to stay in touch with you. And I'm absolutely eager and supportive of your endeavors. And sorry, Shana. Have yeah, a great rest of your day. Okay, okay, bye. Hope you enjoy this episode of the Phase World podcast. My team and I will be thrilled if you choose to write us a review on iTunes. It really helps to get the word out. Simply search for Phase World podcast in your iTunes app under podcast. Click on readings and reviews tab and then write a review. The star review takes seconds or a brief text review will be fantastic too. Thank you on behalf of me and my team from Phase World.